Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Do you feel unsupported in your current career position? Is the grind of your current corporate role more than you can bear? After being laid off multiple times, including once during her maternity leave, Sarah Khan felt unsupported by her employers multiple times, including during the pandemic lockdown. Sarah decided to detox herself from the corporate programming that had run her life and began a new journey as an entrepreneur, specifically working with women and moms. Sarah's rehab transition made her realize that the corporate mindset of equating time spent with money earned needs to be re-examined. Sarah points out the importance of cultivating the ability to trust oneself in entrepreneurship and focusing on the fundamental aspects of starting a business, such as identifying your ideal client and engaging in revenue-generating activities. For any parent out there deliberating a career change, Sarah's story points out, you can be a parent and an entrepreneur. The two are not mutually exclusive. Please enjoy my conversation with Sarah Khan. Well, Sarah Khan, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So um, usually I've been leading off with this question uh, for, for my guests before they even start to talk about who they are, but so where do we find you today? Do you mean like geographically? Yes, geographically. <laughs> I am in Winnipeg, Canada. So if you were to balance the continent of North America on the head of a pin, Winnipeg is where you would find your balance point. So we're like dead center geographic uh, center of North America, about two hours from the U.S. border. Okay. Interesting. Because I did not know that. And <laughs> I, and when you, when you, when you, when I hear Winnipeg and I was talking about this before we hit record is, so I'm most of the audience knows I'm based in Metro Detroit. And the Winnipeg Jets goalie, so for you hockey buffs out there, um, Bucky Hollabach actually went to the high school that's right behind me, Wald Lake Northern High School in Wald Lake, Michigan, or Commerce Township, Michigan, I should say. So mm-hmm. uh, so we already have a connection right off the bat, even though you don't follow the Jets. And neither do I, because <laughs> I'm a Bruins fan. <laughs> and that's not something, you know, I should admit, living in Winnipeg, you know, the heart of the whiteout. Um, I'm I'm not a Jets fan, but, you know. That's okay. I'm I'm sure there's plenty of people that 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 will forgive you. So, um, so why don't why, why don't I do this? Why don't I turn it over to you and have you walk through who you are and your background and to kind of set this up. The the reason why I wanted to have this conversation with you is that you had this interesting transition from you know a very successful corporate career to being an entrepreneur. And one that I would say it was somewhat unexpected to you from from oh, the yes. research I've done on you. So um, I would really like to unpack that because it's a conversation that I have often with uh, people who are 
you know, not necessarily happy in their corporate careers, but they don't know necessarily what to do and how a transition works like that. And like I said, my most of my audience knows this, but kind of bears repeating. Like before I started my family office firm, Tama, in the financial planning space, I had a full-time corporate career in corporate accounting, tax, finance, and operations. So I've, I'm sure we have a lot of similarities. So rather than me rum, rambling on anymore, let me turn it over to you. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, so I, I was, uh, I affectionately refer to myself as a former corporate shill, corporate escapee, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I basically now have a business where I help women who've left the traditional workspace, not necessarily just corporate, uh, and help them build a business that is not hustle focused. That is, you know, against the status quo. Cause the status quo does tend to be, you've got to work really hard. You've got to hustle. You've got, and I just, I want to help women build businesses that are full of ease, that are full of um, taking, you know, honoring their capacity, but also looking at the pragmatic, practical pieces of building a business. And so everything that we talk about is, you know, BS free, fluff free. Here's what you need to do to get the results that you're looking for. And a lot of it is underscored with wanting to help women reconnect to their genius, to their expertise, to their knowledge, help them validate it. Because I, what I have found too, is a lot of women will come out of the workplace and start businesses and start, um, you know, as virtual assistants. Which, and there's nothing wrong with that because that's it's a, a role that is desperately needed in the online business space, particularly. But a lot of these women were senior executives in corporate, or they, you know, they've been in corporate for years and they have a skill set that they're not utilizing because you come into this space and there's so much that makes you feel like an imposter. And so a lot of a lot of what we do is kind of, you know, deconstructing that and building that into the if you want results, you have to really tap into your expertise. So how do you when when somebody shows up at your doorstep or office step, if you will, and they're they've got the glazed overlook, it's like, I need to do something but I don't know what to do. What is that first step or what's that first conversation like with, with that, with that person? I'm so glad you asked that. There are so many people who will say, well, what kind of business do you want to run? Or, you know, what are you good at? And for me, it's always, well, what kind of life do you want? You know, what is it that is, is, has either prompted you to leave or is prompting you to leave your job? What are you not getting from work anymore if ever, um, that you're now considering taking this enormous step of becoming a business owner. And it's not just about, you know, what are you good at and what can you sell and and what can you, how can you serve, but what kind of life do you want? Because if we start with, you know, the vision for their life, like, what do you want your day-to-day to look like? What do you want to be able to have time to do? What kind of capacity are you willing to give to your business versus giving to your personal life? That's where we start. Because when we honor that first, we build a business that is fully in alignment with the kind of life that we want, instead of doing what I did, which is, you know, leaving my corporate job to start a business and then turning my business into another corporate job. When you, when you lay that out like that, what's the reaction? Because I'm, I think the reaction is probably like, Sarah, what are you talking about? Like, I'm not here for this, like mushy or mm-hmm. trying to figure out like what I want to do. Like, I just want to start a, a business because I encounter that a lot in my financial planning space. And people have this stereotype where they think, okay, financial advisor, pick stocks, number, cruncher, whatever. But they, they, most people have no idea that I start very similarly with 
what do you want to do? Like, I have this whole framework of purpose with supporting objective, then action items, and then we'll talk about numbers. I can't talk about numbers until I know who you are, what you're about, and your why. Yeah. Yeah. I start with my three Ps, which are your purpose, your priorities, and your and your power, which is your capacity. Um I've I've seen a lot of people. So first of all, the reaction the reaction is is somewhat mixed. Sometimes I'll have people who respond exactly that way, of like you know stop coming at me with this huggy feely nonsense and just tell me what I need to do to make my six figures this year. Um, and that's a conversation that usually goes down a very different road. Of okay, let me school you a little bit on what it actually takes to build a business and what the stats are of people who come in and make six figures in their first year. Like we can have that. I can math with you. That's not a problem. Um, the other response that I usually get, the other reaction is one of almost relief, right? Because I don't think enough people think about that part of their life, right? They compartmentalize everything. And if there's one thing that I've learned the hard way is that you cannot compartmentalize the different pieces of your life. And so sometimes it's that that feeling of relief. And so I've actually had um, maybe two people in, in the course of my, my time as a consultant um, who actually you know, gotten choked up and teary-eyed because somebody actually asked them, like, what do you want? Like, hey, you get if if you get to do this how you want to do it, you get to build it how you want to build it. And I think that that requires a lot of deconstruction of things like success timeframes and timelines. And, you know, are you a failure if you haven't hit six figures in one year or two years? And is six figures even the the goal right for number. you? Like maybe it's something else. Yeah. But there's just so much, there's a lot of noise that is very high level noise about these are the parameters of what success looks like. And if you don't fit within those parameters, you are a failure. And there's no sort of like gray space for that. So I live in the gray space and that's where I, I like to be. I, I think that's another point we probably have in common. I like the how you phrase that, you know, decompartmentalize because I, I think people see the same thing like with their personal life versus their financial life. Mm-hmm. And you know, for those watching on video, like I'm connecting my head, they're interconnected. They are so interconnected. I mean, what you do on the, in your personal life has a major impact on your financial life and what you're doing from your financial life has a major impact on your, on your personal life. You cannot separate the two. And so that's one of the reasons why, like you start with your three P's. That's why I start with my first P and then objectives um, to really, give people like the grace, I guess, for a better, mm-hmm. lack of a better term to, to allow themselves to think about what the possibilities are, because I think you get boxed in, especially like in a, in a corporate sense, like in having a long corporate career. And I'm not sure if you felt this way or not, we'll get into that, but like, you just, you just feel boxed in. You don't, you don't know what's out there because you just been doing that. And to some degree that structure is good. And some people need that structure. But as you'll probably talk about, like when you go off on your own, that structure has gone. And the only way to build that structure is to build it yourself. Yeah. That's one of the challenges that I think a lot of new entrepreneurs have is that, you know, when you've come from a corporate career where every decision is made in committee and you have someone who's constantly in a position of oversight and you can't take time off without, you know, getting it approved. Um, your lunch hours are set, your break times are set, like everything's very, there's a lot of oversight. When you suddenly have all of that freedom, you do one of two things. You will either go to, you know, an extreme rigid, because when I, when I left, the very first thing I did was I I would wake up every morning and I would sit at my desk at eight o'clock 
and I would have lunch at my desk, even though my desk was like 10 feet from the kitchen, right? I would have lunch at my desk and I'd only give myself 30 minutes and I would sit at my desk until four o'clock or five o'clock every day. And then I would come back after dinner because it was right there. And it didn't matter what I was doing. As long as I was sitting at that desk for eight hours, I felt like I'd put in a quote unquote work day. And so that's one extreme that people will go to, to try and create that, that um, structure in their life without really thinking about, well, what are you doing in that time? The other extreme is just, you know, not doing anything at all, right? Taking, diving fully into your feelings and just, you know, this is what I feel like doing today. And then wondering why you haven't got a viable business. And so I try to bring people back into the center where you take a little bit of structure, you take a little bit of how are you feeling today? And, and we try and build, you know, a new structure. And I think that that's, something that is um, hard for people to wrap their head around, right? Like you get to actually decide what your day looks like. It's okay. Yeah. When when you made your transition, was that hard for you? Because I know when I was explaining this to somebody the other day where I'm a very outgoing, like to talk to people, like to be around people. And when, when I suddenly transitioned, you know, from full-time corporate to full-time, you know, family office, you know, advisor, I look to my left, I look to my right, like in front of me, back, like I'm surrounded by four walls. I'm like, there's no people. And that was probably like one of my most difficult and underrated aspects of my transition that I wasn't necessarily prepared for. And because of all that structure I had before, that's what I kind of went that route and, and created a bunch of structure, but then I didn't give myself the time to think about, okay, well, I'm getting into this because I wanted more flexibility. I wanted more freedom, you know, get my kids on the school bus, get them home from school, things of that nature. And I wasn't necessarily allowing myself to do that because I was still in that that old mindset, if you will. Mm-hmm. I think it's because we're taught that time equals money, right? And if you're yeah. not spending your time doing a particular activity, you're somehow not making money. But when you... When you leave your job, it's, I mean, first of all, I don't think a lot of people realize this, but there is legitimately a period of grief, right? Because you've completely upended your life essentially. And what do most of us do when we're in a period of grief, right? We, we numb, we do things that, you know, aren't. So I found myself diving right back into, I've got to work an eight hour day and that slowly became a 10 hour day. And that slowly became a 24 hour day. And not necessarily focusing on doing things that were going to move the business forward, but focusing on busy work. I need to feel busy. Um, doing a lot of coffee chats and a lot of like going to networking type meetings, because for exactly what you said, there suddenly there was a lack of, you know, humans around me to to talk to and things like that. And you spend so much time in coffee chats. Again, you're not actually working on your business. And so this is why we start with, you know, what do you want? What do you want your day to look like? Because One thing that I try to impress on everybody that I work with is if we know what your goal is and we know what your capacity is, and this is something that, again, a lot of people don't consider, but how much time do you want to give to your business each day? Then we build the timeline. And so you can get to this. Everybody can get to, let's say, six figures is your number. Everybody can get there, but not everyone can get there in the same time frame. And as long as we can wrap your head around that, you can build a business that actually is viable and you can honor what you want your life to look like. All of those things, spending time with your kids, being able to do drop-off. When I first started my business, 
I was constantly stressed out about having to drop the kids off. And I would, you know, try to keep it at under 30 minutes. And I would make sure that I was back at my desk by nine o'clock. And now I'm at the point where I spend a full two hours every single morning with my children. And I get them breakfast and I drop them off and I come back and I take a minute before I start my day. And I, I end my day at three o'clock every day and I go and pick up my kids. Some Now that the weather's changed, I take a little one to the playground. Like that was not something that I could even fathom two or three years ago because I was quote unquote wasting my time if I wasn't sitting at my desk. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I've... I've just recently in the last month really tried to change my schedule and structure to be more available for my kids. And especially now that they're, you know, into, you know, middle school, you know, my triplets are going to be, oh my God, teenagers, you know, at the end of this year, (laughs) um, which is going to be a whole nother transition. Um, But it's, I think it goes back to like, I, like my, in my situation, I didn't give myself the grace to be able to do that because going back to what you said, your point, I think it was spot on. It's like, I felt like if I, if I wasn't working, I wasn't going to be able to support my family. And, um, that's just not, that's just not the case. Um, I know that you, you work, your specialty is working with, with women and especially moms. I'm wondering how different is it when you have a mom that's got, you know, you've got this big transition ahead of you as far as far as, you know, leaving corporate, you know, giving, giving, you know, having that, that side of your life pass away to this new side. But then also you've got your responsibilities as a mom. And I know a lot of the moms that I talk to that have these really hard charging careers, there's a lot of guilt that comes with that though, as well. Mm-hmm. This is, this is always a little bit tough because so much of it is easier said than done, right? It does, it does take time. Um, without going down too much of a rabbit hole, I think that sometimes the guilt is there because culturally, societally, we don't place enough importance on the role of a mom, right? A mom is something you do outside of you, who you are versus, you know, or it's entirely who you are and there's no sort of in-between. And I think a, a lot of making that transition, you know, there, there is a lot of mindset work that has to happen. Like you really do need to get back in touch with, okay, who are you? What do you enjoy? Right. You're allowed to be a mom and a business owner. The two things are not, again, compartmental. They don't exist in silos. One of the things that really helped me was finding, you know, coaches and mentors and communities where that was embraced right where i could show up in a zoom meeting with you know my teenager sitting in the room she's just over there you know where i could have my my 5 year old sit on my lap or ask for a juice box and not be made to feel like that was inappropriate or unprofessional i think that the default to professionalism does tend to um sabotage a lot of our a lot of our ability to grow a business and a lot of our ability to you know Embrace all of the different areas of our life, if that means. So if I could say anything, I would say, you know, give yourself patience. It's going to be, it's it's definitely a hard transition. But if you can find people in your sphere, in your community that are also 
have either gone down that road or have kids and are like, you know, yeah, bring the kids on every single client meeting that I have, right? Somebody's kids are in the room. And I make it very clear on my website and in my values. And when I talk about it, you want your, you want, if you need your kids to be in your lap while we talk, that is totally fine. Like I will, you know, wave at them and, and, you know, talk to them as like, it's, it's totally okay. And I think that that's something because when, when you're in corporate as a mother, as a parent, sometimes even in general, um, you have to compartmentalize your kids, right? It's not something you can openly talk about or bring to work or, or whatever. And that's after work time. And so getting out of that mentality, getting out of that programming takes time. And so again, it's giving yourself grace and and just, you know, um, you have to be okay with it before anybody else is going to be. Yeah. And I, I, again, I would think that that's like the hardest part. It's just getting yourself to be okay with it. Yeah. Um, kind of along those lines, one of the the things that, that I saw on your website that just really resonated with me, it kind of goes to these, these points is that you talk about utilizing tools to detox from your corporate programming. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Can you, can you walk us through a Well, one, what do, what do you mean by that? And then two, can you walk us through a couple of those tools that you use? Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, well, I, I touched on one, the the idea that time is money and that, you know, your value in any role is solely dictated by how much time you invest in that role. You know, that's something that we are taught. I remember, gosh, probably both of my really big corporate, I, I worked for, I worked for two of the big four uh, corporate professional services firms. And in both of them, I had a manager who would, you know, walk the, the, the cube farm in the morning to make sure everyone was at their desk and, you know, checking their watch and making sure you clocked in on time. And was everybody still at their desk at four o'clock? Nobody snuck out early. Right. And so this idea that even if I don't have anything and I would be done my work by like one o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon. And there were days when I had surfed the entire internet because there was nothing left for me to do. And so this idea of, you know, the, the amount of time you spend doing a task equals money. And so you'll see a lot of people coming from the corporate space into entrepreneurship and charging by the hour or, you know, managing, like I have to spend a certain amount of hours on this task. So starting to reframe um, value as value versus time as value is really important. Like where is your area of expertise? You know, because even with um, a task, the better you get at it, the less time it takes. And so charging by the hour, you're actually kind of sabotaging your income potential, right? So that's the first one. Let's, let's, Re re-examine how we view our output and the value that we attach to it. Uh, the other one is, I think a lot of the time I will see clients um, when they sign a client on. So they're working now as an independent contractor, but they will treat their client as an employer. And so they will allow the client to dictate terms, you know, how long you work, when, and Legally, we're not going to go into the legalities of it, but you can't really do that if you're an independent contractor. But we default into this person is my boss, right? And so it's it's I see a lot of people hesitant to step into their zone of ex- um, expertise and actually have a peer to peer conversation with clients versus I'm I'm just here as an employee. You're not. You are working with your clients, not for them. And so those are two like really big mindset shifts that I think have to happen 
when you start your business and kind of detoxing from that corporate programming of there's always a hierarchy or the amount of time you sit at your desk is important versus what you're actually doing. Um, And then the other one is just self-trust. I think a lot of us that have worked in hierarchical situations, we struggle to trust our own ability to make the right decisions because so much of what we did had to be approved, had to go through committee, had to be hashed out in a board meeting. And so being able to sit down and say like, do I want this for my business or is this the right next step to take? I'm not saying you never consult a mentor or a coach. I think that having those relationships is very important, but cultivating the ability to trust your own self again is super, super important. And that's that's probably the hardest learning curve of all. You you may have answered my next question because the, the <laughs> other, one of the other um, pieces that I, that I took from from your your website and business was this phrase, trust me, rehab can be liberating. <laughs> I said, can you my note was, uh, Sarah, can you elaborate on that? Like what is what is that like and what is that that feeling like? And can it be sustained? Um, because you may feel that initially, and then like once you are into your business and that structure, you start building that structure and you kind of get a little confined again, you can, you can lose that. And I think for me personally, I think I, I feel this way often where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm the one setting the terms. Like I'm the one dictating my, my own schedule. It's, it's okay to be able to, you know, walk out of here at two o'clock and go for a walk or, you know, go on a field trip with my kids or whatever it may be. Mm Mm-hmm. Sorry, can you repeat the question? Because I, yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Go for that walk. It's nice outside. <laughs> Especially today in Michigan. It's like 80 degrees here in mid uh, or early uh, May. You don't get days like this and, it, and it's sunny. But no, to your your phrase was, trust me, rehab can be liberating. Yeah. yeah so uh, the whole sort of corporate rehab um, mantra, motto is, is, you know, rehabilitating those toxic behaviors and thought and and new behavior patterns and belief systems that we pick up in traditional work environments. And again, a lot of it is like, you know, cultivating self-trust, being able to, to really step into your expertise. We have labels put on us when we work in a corporate environment. And that label is, this is your job title. And everything that we're good at is confined to that job title. And so when you become an entrepreneur, um, I think most people will do what is safe. They do what, what they know, right? When I first started, I I did admin because that's it was safe. It was easy. I knew that I could sell it. My expertise was in project management and operations. And when I finally sort of, you know, and I did kind of go down that road, but when I let go of this is what I've done for 20 years and sort of embrace the fact that I have so many more talents and so many more areas of interest and expertise it opened up this entire world of possibility for me. And so believing that I was more than my job title, believing that I was more than my role, whatever that role was, that was where the liberation started. And it it just, it made everything so much easier because now I'm able to tap into all of these talents and these experiences and these interests that I, I didn't really have the, the place or the uh, permission in quotes for when I was in my corporate job. I can't believe we haven't gotten to this yet because we just <laughs> really just dive right into the, the details of, of, of the conversation and, and, you know, the, 
I guess, action items behind it. But I failed to ask you, what was your transition? What was the tipping point mm-hmm. that drove you from, okay, I can't take this anymore for whatever the reasons were to doing something on my own? Because I think I mentioned you know, during the early part of our conversation is that you didn't, you didn't expect yourself to become an entrepreneur. No, I am still a reluctant entrepreneur. That's what I refer to myself as. Uh, My brother was an entrepreneur. He's been an entrepreneur for probably 15 years. And he would often say to me, you should just start your own business. I'd be like, no, I like just going to work every day and collecting a paycheck. And it was never that easy, but... It was, it was really a couple of oh, things. Oh, by the way, we're going to get to your yeah. brother in a minute because I want to bring up the podcast that you just did this week and you mentioned okay. your brother. I'm assuming it's the same brother. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. We have an interesting relationship. So what happened for me was it was a couple of things that kind of, you know, led up to the ultimate demise of my career, if you will. Um, I was laid off while I was on maternity leave with my first daughter 15 years ago. Double and, bonus. <laughs> yeah. It was, spent, I was like, oh, great. Okay. And we were living overseas. We were living in England at the time. My husband is British. So we had we had um, lived there for a number of years. And we moved back here to Canada and, you know, started a new career, built myself up again, you know, from the ground up because I'd had all this seniority that was just basically left behind. Uh, got pregnant again in 2017 and was laid off again on mat leave. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I was the highest rated performer in my department. Like it was just, it didn't make any sense to me. They did eventually hire me back. Um, no, it's a long story, uh, but in a different capacity, in a different department. And again, your seniority does not count because you're starting from scratch. It's a new contract. And that started to get really frustrating because I was at the level now where I should have been in leadership. I should have been doing you know, um, a lot more, but they had me start again from the ground floor. And, and then pandemic happened. And we were all on lockdown and I was at home. I had my, you know, my desk set up in the dining room and the kids were home. They weren't going to school. And I just, you know, it was stressful enough with everything that was going on globally. And one day I remember sitting down at my desk and my boss, she said to me, cause my little one was like crying for me and she didn't want to, you know, sit with her dad who would always take her away when I was having meetings. And she was like, not having it today. So I, I brought her into the room. I had her on my knee. And my boss said, can we have a chat later on when your your little one is settled? I said, sure. So we logged on to a meeting and she said to me, you know, when your kids are in the room, you're not really focused on work. So um, we're going to dock your pay. And this isn't the first time this had happened. This had happened in previous positions before wow. uh, my older one had, my older one had whooping cough when she was really young. And I took a week to work from home, not off, worked from home, did all my meetings, all my projects were up to date and they docked my entire week's pay because I wasn't at the office. It was ridiculous. So we had this meeting. She said that. And I was like, wow, that's really not like, where am I supposed to put them? We're all on lockdown together. It's not a big house. Um, And then the micromanagement started. You know, it was like, I want to know where you are every 15 minutes, who you're talking to, who's in this meeting with you. What have you like? She wanted everything itemized. And I started to, it started to get really, really stressful for me to, to meet those expectations. And then I had an accident. Um, my little one, my little one injured my eye and the, um, it involved a a broken nail and a lot of torque force. That's all I'm going to say. So yeah, (laughs) that that sounds painful. (laughs) It was, it was in, I was like, wow, how can this hurt so much? But the eye doctor said, look, you need to take a week off from screens and just let your eye heal. And again, not very supportive on the work side of that. And so 
I took some time off. Uh, I took a month off on stress leave at my doctor's insistence because I was just at that point, just not feeling very good and couldn't go back. And it was the first time I'd ever felt that way because I was a dedicated employee. Like I towed that party line for over 20 years. I loved my career. And I had just gotten to the point where I had felt so gaslit and and disrespected and just not supported and not seen that the, the thought of going back after taking time off was physically painful for me. And so I gave my notice. Um, that was also not well received, unfortunately. Um, but that was, I had already been doing consulting on the side as kind of a part-time thing for a few years. And my husband, you know, bless him. He was really supportive. He said, look, we'll make it work, but you do not need to go back to that job. Like, I don't like seeing you this way. And so that's really the long and short of it. Do you, do you, that's a good point. Um, do you often encourage your, the, the clients that you work with, um, especially the, the moms to try to do a little bit of both, like keep the full-time corporate career going while they, while they start dip their toe in the water, if you will, is what, what's your thoughts on that? I know people are kind of on one side or the other. Yeah. And I know, cause I've, I've heard, I've heard you talk about this as well um, on your podcasts. I know that it doesn't apply to everybody. Nothing does. But in an ideal situation, I always encourage people to at least have a plan, an exit plan, right? Like have a few months of savings because what I see sometimes when people leave just like that and they don't have savings, they don't have like a safety net of any kind to kind of get the entrepreneurial thing up and running is that's when they start to make bad investments and they start to fall prey to things like you can make six figures in six months, just take my program or take this. And, and I, and it's, it's no, um, I'm not trying to shame anybody. You know, when you are in that feeling of, I need to make this work and you have that feeling of desperation, you will do anything to make it work. And so if at all possible, take, like make an exit plan. Don't I'm done and quit and just leave right? Take three months, six months, if you can build up that nest egg and just, you know, have something to fall back on so that you can build your business intentionally versus reactively. That, you know, I'm glad you said that. I didn't even have to say that as the financial advisor. Here. <laughs> so, so thank you for that public service announcement. You're very um, welcome. There's, there's two things I want to get to before I get to, to our, the, my closing question I want to ask you, but mm-hmm. The first is I want to go back to your podcast and I've referenced this a couple of times now um, that you, I was just listening to the one you just released this week and mm-hmm. your brother was involved. And <laughs> I think it's, I think it's very um, apropos that when, when you start thinking about getting into business on your own, starting a business, there's all these things that you could get distracted with. And I think this was the conversation that you were having with your brother. Like I'm mm-hmm. spending this much time on my logo and this time on my, uh, that much time on my website and on and on and on. And it's like, well, when are you working on the business to get clients or sell whatever product you may be selling, wh- whatever the situation is mm-hmm. that you, you made a really important point that I would like you to, to talk about. Yeah. So when I first started, there was a lot of, you know, okay, I got to get my logo right. Because I I worked 
part of it was like in, in marketing. So I understood things like color theory and psychology of marketing and all. <laughs> and so I brought all of that, like, I've got to choose the exact right shade of pink that's going to appeal to this particular client. And that's going to be in my logo. But then I want to underscore it with brown because that, you know, elicits trust. And like, there was all this, you can really like, yes, your logo is important. Yes. It's important to have a website, not immediately, but eventually um, it's important to have your messaging down pat. It's important to, you know, your ideal, all of this is it's important stuff. It's foundational stuff. What happens though, is sometimes we will get stuck in those activities because they're safe activities, right? They make you feel like you're still building your business, but they're not actually getting you clients. They're not the, they're, they are not the activities that are close to the money, as I like to say. And so, you know, you can do, you can spend eight hours tweaking your logo and working on your website and feel like you put in a really great productive work day. But when you look at your bank balance, you're like, but I got no clients. Why not? My logo is perfect. What's happening? And so that was really the conversation I'd had with my brother. I think I asked him to look at my logo for the hundredth time. And he just looked at me and went, Sarah, that is not what's going to make you money. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at this point. Okay. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. So what I like to try to remind people is that, yes, those things are important, but if you are spending so much time on them that you're not actually doing the selling, you're not connecting with people, you're not having conversations. Like if you are not talking about your business, you do not have one. You just have a very expensive hobby. Yeah, well, well said. I couldn't even say it better <laughs> myself. And I, I think you yeah, I think you said the exact same thing on your episode. So we'll be sure to link in our show notes to your website and to and to that podcast episode Thank as you. well. The the last business question I want to, or I guess business question I want to get to is you know, one of the things that I picked up when when you know looking over what you do and your website and how you help people is that you really stress this no BS. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate on that and talk a little bit about, about that, how you implement that, where it came from and how it works with working with you? Awesome. Yeah. It's again, it's, it's something that I think most of us came into, well, a lot of us came into entrepreneurship during the pandemic years um, when the great resignation happened and, and whatnot. And there was already a very strong industry of people, you know, doing this work. And there was a lot of um, hustle culture focused advice that was floating around. And when people like, I know when I started my business, the very first coach I worked with told me I needed to have a funnel and a webinar and I needed to get a date on the books and I needed to sell to people. And I wasn't even sure what I wanted to do at that point, but you take that advice and you do the things. And there are so many, um, there are so many places in entrepreneurship where we are told this is what you have to do to be successful or this is what success looks like or these are the thing these are the people you have to align with or these are the spaces you need to be in and believe me i mean you can listen to the podcast episode but i have done more courses and i have been in more spaces than i think the average entrepreneur and all i started to learn was if it doesn't align with me i'm not going to do it no matter how how much you tell me this is a critical activity. And so that's a lot of how my philosophy came to be of, you know, really honoring what you want and what your capacity is. Um, but when I talk about no BS, I'm talking about the things that, you know, you don't need fancy technology to get your business started. You don't need to um, have a funnel. You don't need to have a website. You don't need to have all of these things. And alternatively, 
you know, these are the things you do need in order to have a viable business. And so it's, it's helping people kind of wade through just the noise that exists in entrepreneurship in the online space about, you know, what does success look like? What do I really need to build my business? If this is my goal, what is it actually going to take to get there? It's not going to take the 37 steps that someone in a $5,000 program is telling you it's going to take. It's actually going to take these four fundamental things. And from there, you can go wherever you want. But that's what's important to me because the vast majority of my clients are women you know, who are are tired of taking what's been given to them and who really want to start building their own legacies. And the best way to do that is to really determine who you are and what you want first. And when we can build that foundation, a lot of that BS detection starts to come naturally to you because you can say, well, that advice may have worked for you. It probably will work for me, but I don't want to do it, right? Example, for example, me, I do not sell in the DMs. I do not slide into people's direct messages and try to pitch them something. I call that pitch slapping. Um, I don't do it because I'm not saying that it's a bad tactic or a wrong. It just doesn't work for me. It's not how I want to run my business. And I've had so many people try to make me feel wrong for that because they do it. Right. And so there's a lot of shame in the space. I mean, it's it's such a it's such a big topic, but that's that's really the the nuts and bolts of it is there's a lot of noise and sometimes you need to put on, you know, your, your, your noise cancellation headphones and your blinders and decide this is what I want. This is what aligns. And yes, I can make it work as long as I know the activities that it's going to take to get to that goal. I think what you do as a consultant or a coach is the probably the, from my perspective and having worked with, with coaches and consultants before is helping people separate out that noise and yes. really help yeah. them focus on that sense of, you know, purpose, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that was extremely well said. Um, as far as I do actually have one, one last thing uh, is as far as people wanting to contact you and learn more about you and um the kind of work that you do as a consultant and as a coach, it, where, what's the best, where should we drive people at? Is it your website? Is that the best place? I know you're on Instagram as well. Uh, the best place is probably Instagram or Facebook. I'm one okay. of those old people who's still, who's still on Facebook. Um, Facebook is I am the place too. where I, <laughs> okay, good. That's, that's where I go and do my infamous rants. You know, I will rant about things and I, I love long form posts. I'm always in there, but Instagram is really great for, if you kind of want to get to know my personality, if you want like, you know, bite-size advice, that's the best place to find me. Okay. My website is, is my website and it gives you kind of a snapshot, but I love interacting with people and I love um, to talk to them. So come hang out with me on Instagram. All right. We will be sure to do that. All right. So that, and, and I'm just looking through my list. I'm like, we, I, I feel like I barely scratched the surface with, with this conversation <laughs> with you, which means it's great. And you're going to be back on at some point. So, awesome. um, but my closing question that I ask all of my guests is what is the best thing about being a parent? Oh my gosh. What's, what's not right. Um, good days, bad days, best thing about being a parent, hundred percent being able to see the world through their eyes, watching both my kids. Um, I have a five-year-old and a 14-year-old and it's just, it's, there's such different personalities and being able to see things from their perspective 
it just it just opens up a whole new world for you. And they really call you on your own BS, which is wonderful without wanting to do it, but they do, right? They, they make you question they like, do. okay, maybe I don't believe that anymore. So it's been, um, it's been a, a huge journey of growth. And I think that's probably the best part of being a parent. They're forcing me to grow into a better person. Well, Sarah Khan, this has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, great conversation. I know the audience is going to take a lot from it. And like I said, you know, I'm, I'm already going to have to start planning our next conversation here soon. <laughs> for sure. For sure. I'd love to be back. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast.